I put a penny in my pocket. And in a little time, that penny in my pocket had grown into a dime. And in a little longer, a quarter jingled out. I put the quarter in the teapot and I waited till the teapot had a dollar in the spout. I put the dollar in my mattress and had some pleasant dreams. Till suddenly my mattress was bursting at the seams. And that's how I acquired the wealth I now possess. That little penny was the secret. Yes, that penny was the secret of my success. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, August 20th, 2017. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist whose work appears at Talk in Broadway, Everything Sondheim, and Broadway Stars. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at filesbutphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So it is the uh, wrapping up towards the end of the summer. We're at the 20th of August. We've only got a few weeks left before... Uh, what we consider the fall, which is not actually really the fall, but the beginning of September when the kids go back to school, the most beautiful time of the year for me. Uh, so, but it is also a beautiful time of the year on Broadway because now, between now and uh, December 17th, right now, there are scheduled uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 shows. Um, that will have opened for this uh, Tony Awards season between now and December 17th. So we thought we would talk about a season preview and what we're looking forward to. Um, and uh, so Peter and Michael, uh, should we go straight down the list or should we just talk in so. general about the about – we can, we can do that generally and, and things can that leap out at us. Maybe we can uh... – Expound upon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, things that are, are are near to us in our in our rearview mirror are 1984, Marvin's Room, uh, and last week we talked about Terms of My Surrender. So uh, do we uh, have any additional thoughts about the three of those shows? Uh, 1984, for in my view, made a whole lot less of an impact than I thought it was going to be when it was running up to it. What do you think? Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Um, the business hasn't been as good as anybody would hope that it would be, and uh, uh, nobody seems to talk about it. I know. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody who says to me, you know, gee, I was at 1984 last night, and I thought X, Y, Z. No, I don't hear anything about it, so uh, so it's too bad that uh, it didn't have more of an impact, and yet it certainly does comment on what's going on uh, <laughs> in our times, uh, for better or worse, meaning worse. So, uh, so maybe that's the reason. Maybe we do need more escapist entities. And this is just too close to the bone. That's interesting. I, I tend to not look at grosses and I'd only uh, go by what people tell me and I believe them. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think that 1984 started out very well, if I recall, at the box office. So I, I don't know if it's I guess it's maybe it's fallen off. Um, there is uh, 
sort of a, a, a movie star and a TV star in it. Uh, so that's a little surprising. But of course, the, you know, <laughs> there are always going to be many, many people who just don't want to see a, a show with that kind of subject matter, mm-hmm. especially in the summer. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm looking um, closely at the uh, looking quickly, not closely at the at the grosses, mm-hmm. and there's only one week that it had broken four hundred thousand. It's been hovering in the three hundreds wow. uh, for this entire time. According to IBDB, it is not officially ha- have a closing date. Uh, I'm sure that they've announced one, but uh, it's going to get very tough for them because the Parisian woman's coming in on November thirtieth, which we'll talk <laughs> about in in a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how people often say, you know. Um, I don't want to see a show where I can see the same thing at home on my television set. Well, maybe people feel that they don't need to go to the Hudson Theater to see rats because there are enough rats on the streets of New York <laughs> that, you know, why pay to see them when you can see them there? That that could very well be it. Well, on the other hand, uh, um, I Marvin's Room, I know yeah. several people uh, who were in, involved in the original production in one way or another, I, I, like mostly box office people and backstage people. And uh, for whatever reason, several of them caught up with it just recently, I guess right before its closing, and they all loved it. So I just wanted to mention that I, I think – uh, and I loved it too. I think that it's a wonderful production that the roundabout gave us. So I, and, and I assume, you know, I mean, it is a subscription house. So I, I hope and assume that it's doing well at the box office. Uh, so that Marvin's room is scheduled to close uh, just a week away from here. It's so August 27th. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you know, get out there and uh, check it out. You're running out of time. The grosses for Marvin's room are, uh, in the high hundreds to low two hundreds, so and they're playing sixty five percent or so. Generally, uh, July second, uh, as with nineteen eighty four, that was its biggest week. Um, that that mm. July second week where they were playing eighty four percent, but they're playing sixty six, sixty five percent. So uh, you can still get out to see Marvin's Room, uh, and and let us know what you thought of that set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> very, very strange. <laughs> the, one, the one negative. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so the thought is: is uh, 1984 in Marvin's room? Do you, either one of you think that we're going to start seeing those pop up in regional theaters next year? Well, certainly regional theaters have a tendency to do whatever last year's Broadway show was. And even though Marvin's Room is a revival, the fact is it could be on somebody's radar now where it wouldn't have been before. So uh, that's that's a sad thing for those of us who um, attend Broadway regularly, that when we go out of town uh, at the regional theaters, they're just replicating what happened uh, in recent times on Broadway. Uh, I, I dare say regional theater used to be more interesting in terms of selections that they uh, did. I'm not talking about new plays, but I'm talking about quote-unquote old plays uh, that they used to delve more into the classics. But I guess it's a feeling that people want to see what uh, what happened last year on Broadway. So I understand that point of view. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if more Marvin's Room productions show up. Well, in, in the reverse of that, we do have a handful of regional theaters like the Paper Mill Playhouse, which has been a place pre-Broadway, uh, you know, similar to more the Good, more. Good, Good Speed Opera House was more uh, and more. previously. And, yes. and the Denver Center for the Performing Arts this week has had uh, Frozen out there. And um, there's mm-hmm. a handful of uh, bootleg videos floating around the Internet, uh, and it looks really good. 
it's oh, yeah. very Nobody's given me yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all they're all online. You know, no nobody hands around the videotapes oh, anymore. Ah. Nobody hands around. You know, I remember those. Well, I expected uh, a DVD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, very often um, uh, uh, theater fans were mistaken. Um, mistaken for something else as our doormans were handed uh, pr- plain brown uh, envelopes with videotapes in them. You know? well, I, I remember my friend Richard Norton and I uh, <laughs> meeting in Harvard Square. He used to run up to my car. I rolled down the window. He'd hand me something. I'd hand him something. I thought, we're going to get arrested someday. <laughs> People and, are watching. What do you think we're doing drugs? And, and wouldn't really that the be the funniest? Album of the Four Musketeers, you know what I mean? So. Wouldn't that be the funniest police interview ever? You, that should be a play, yes. Peter. That, that... <laughs> well, well, you, you know, know you two in have... separate rooms. What was in the thing? What was in the thing? It was like, it was follies. It was follies. I know I shouldn't have done it, but it was follies. Well, I was going to say, in a way, they are drugs. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> they stimulate the same part of the brain. <laughs> All right. And last week, uh, we talked about the terms of my surrender, and I got a chance to see it this week. I really enjoyed it. Um, Sands, one thing that I think was unique to, unique to the uh, performance that I saw was that um, – the uh, guest was uh, the librarian who got Michael's oh, book. Oh, really? Ah. Yeah. The guest was the librarian who, uh, uh, in 2001, uh, posted to a listserv of librarians saying, you have to check out Michael Moore's book, and gave it a second life into 59 printings and hardcover, and really you know, changed the trajectory of... Uh, of the New York Times bestseller list because of her one email that was sent out. Um, and while she was wonderful, engaging, and charming, he he seemed to not want to cut her off, and the show went 2.30, no intermission. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. it went yeah. for ever <laughs> and uh but other than that and i think that was just unique to that one show and he mm-hmm. seemed you know he was giving deference to her because of what she had done sure. i imagine sure. uh but let her go on and on and on and it was it, mm-hmm. it, it really dragged the show out very long with no intermission mm-hmm. um and so in terms of my surrender obviously i don't think that we're going to see that in regional theaters uh but maybe we'll see it on you know television or pay-per-view or, sc- mm. or streaming or something like that. I think it lends itself to that type of situation. Who were the guests when you guys went? Did you mention last week? I had no guest. You I had no guest, guest other than, the, uh, you know, the two uh, contestants for the oh, yeah, yeah. game show. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know there was supposed to be a guest until people started talking about it after the fact. Uh, oh, so, okay. so, yeah, I went to a matinee. Maybe that was the reason why. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, our, our game show... Um, uh, oh yeah, how they make out the game show? The, the Canadian d- destroyed the American. <laughs> mine too. Mine too. Mine I sort of think that the American was drunk. Oh, but, uh, I'm oh. not really sure. All but, right. Uh, <laughs> but Some, some, yeah. someone wrote somewhere that on the night that he or she attended, that that section was a disaster because yeah. one of the two, I think the American, um, was trying to showboat and hog the spotlight and and it did occur to me when i saw uh the show it went very well the night i went uh but i thought this could really be a disaster if he happens to pick one or both people you know and and pick the wrong people so uh i mean i guess it it keeps it interesting but (laughs) but uh i I know you know it would be fun to see it from night to night and see how that changes 
Yeah, and uh, I'm hoping that they're not plants. Could they be plants? Oh, I don't think so. I don't or, think so. That's my point. Yeah. 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 It seemed real to me. It really did. I yeah. mean, I just the Canadian was so good and the American was so bad mm. that it sort of like was sort of looked like a parody of itself. Um, <laughs> but I mentioned the night I went, the, Amer- the American actually was somebody who worked for the DNC, I believe. So she was... She was really smart. Oh, that's uh, right. You did and actually, and actually, she won by one point. Mm. Oh, so. uh huh. So yeah, that's uh, that's different. All right. So coming up this week, the Prince of Broadway is going to open, which is a um, review of um, works that Harold Prince has been involved with from somewhere or another, and. Uh, it's being uh, it's up at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater, and it's being produced uh, in partnership by Manhattan Theater Club um, and uh, others who had put it on previous to Manhattan Theater Club. So, uh, what do you think about this? It's a limited run. Uh, I don't very much um, respond to reviews, and um, as much as People loved uh, Fosse and Jerome Robbins' Broadway, uh, both of which won Tony's uh, as as best musicals of the season. Uh, this is not the type of show that really uh, gets to me because I like to be emotionally involved with characters. So um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be very slick and very polished, and uh, I, I expect the people in it will be wonderful. I'm especially looking forward to Tony Yazbek, uh, who I think is really a, a major talent. But um, otherwise, you know, we'll see. I I mean, I, I, I'd like to be delightfully surprised and uh, uh, wolf down my words uh, next week after when we talk about it. But um, at this point, um, <clears throat> I expect to be entertained on a certain level where, indeed, I'll, I'll, I'll applaud every number that comes up and, and I expect to be impressed by them. But I don't know if I'll feel anything emotional. Mm. Yeah, it's got uh, – I, I feel very much the same as you. I'm like, oh, review – Okay, I'll go to it. But the cast, Chuck Cooper, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have Emily Skinner, you have Janet Zakal, you have uh, Michael Xavier from Sunset, Tony Yazbek, Karen Ziemba. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's quite a cast. It's, uh, well, I've seen the show. We, we can't officially refu- review it yet because it doesn't open until next week. But I do have a story. I attended with Harvey Evans. The longtime uh, Broadway gypsy, <laughs> to use that beloved term, um, and he uh, his first show was the Pajama Game, and actually he told me that night he was he was seventeen at the time. They're not really sure how he was allowed to be in it, um, and that was one of Hal Prince's first shows. So they go back to nineteen fifty. Well, Pajama it. Game is 54, if that's what you mean. Was he in the right. original cast, or, or did he take over? I know he was in the movie. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of the original cast, but let's say 1954, 55, yeah. 56, and absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Harvey had some challenges in his life lately, including the death of Barbara Cook, to whom he was extremely close. Uh, He spent many, many hours with her in her last days and uh, other things in his life. So he was rather upset, um, you know, when we went to see the show and but it really kind of revived him. And he uh, was just thrilled with Tony Asbeck's 
performance of The Right Girl, which, uh, you know, of course, is from Follies, which Harvey has a history with. And uh, to make a long story short, afterwards, um, Harvey was kept saying, I I really wish I could see Hal afterwards. But um, Mr. Prince's assistant was in in the audience and he said in intermission that um, that Hal had to leave immediately afterwards for for some specific reason and he wouldn't be able to see anyone. So uh, Harvey was very disappointed. But as we were leaving, just yeah. as we got to the sidewalk, uh-huh. Hal, Hal Prince came out of the stage door, uh, and Harvey ran over to him. Oh, uh, that's nice. Fell into each other's arms, and Harvey started crying, and Hal Prince is comforting uh-huh. him and patting his back and saying things like, "It was you and me, kid, back from yeah, back yeah. there in the beginning." Yeah, yeah. And I and I uh, so needless to say, I was not exactly dry-eyed myself, and it was one of the <laughs> most beautiful moments in the theater that I've had recently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Time in the Conways. It's going to be over at the American Airlines Theater opening October. So we get that jump from August 24th, where Prince of Broadway opens, into the next show that opens is October 10th, and then we're off to the races. So Time in the Conways at the American Airlines Theater, a roundabout production. Uh, it's... Um, we're looking at, of course, uh, it's a limited production, uh, a limited run because it's uh, part of their subscription series. Uh, but uh, Elizabeth McGovern coming into uh, and Anna Camp and uh, uh, a handful of other really interesting people that are going to be doing this. Um, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to it because uh, it's by Jay um, B. Priestley and his works uh, do fascinate me, the ones that I've seen. And uh, those include um, the uh, novel, The Good Companions, which I read because it was made into a musical by Andre Previn and Johnny Mercer back in the 70s. It, it, it was a London musical. It did play here at Mufti, but nowhere else. Uh, but his his other plays, uh, an inspector calls in Dangerous Corner, certainly show uh, a tremendously fertile mind at work, and uh, so I have very high hopes for Time in the Conways, which does deal with an English family over time, uh, as you would expect from the title and uh, the changes that time can uh, wreak, uh, and and that of course means havoc. So I am really looking forward to this one because this is the type of play that <laughs> rarely gets revived, even though it certainly had. A good enough history um, when it was first produced. Uh, I mean, back back in the day, um, it uh, was a big hit in London. It didn't do well here. I'm sorry to say when it was first produced, but it was a big, big show in London. And um, let's see if we, we can catch up with it here and uh, and make it a, a big event for this season. Um, this one, I'm really looking forward to. And Inspector Calls was quite a hit. Uh, as we all remember when when mm-hmm. when produced on Broadway in 1994 uh directed by Stephen Daldry so maybe um they're hoping for similar similar results here uh this is a 1937 play and uh i've just i really know very little about it but based on that alone i uh i'm also looking forward to it very very much and this one is directed by Rebecca Teichman Teichman Oh, yeah. which, is an, so, which is another big plus. A follow-up sure to uh, last season's uh, director, Indecent. Uh, mm-hmm. her, yes. her first Broadway play, but certainly well-known to the Bro- to the Broadway community. The um, first play that she directed on Broadway was Indecent, which uh, we just found out is uh, going to be on PBS, replacing the Prince of Broadway slot on PBS, but 
it wasn't the Prince of Broadway that is currently playing, which was confusing. Uh, and then uh, Broadway HD is going to be uh, – uh, is it Broadway HD? I think Broadway HD is going to be playing uh, Indecent as well. So um, – I think I read that that's happening in November, the the PBS, right? The PBS, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, but quickly, what was the other Prince of Broadway you were mentioning? Uh, PBS was doing a a retrospective on how Prince called the Prince of Broadway. Uh, But it wasn't the show. But it wasn't the show. You're Uh, kidding. (laughs) No, and it was was in the canon. It's been long – long planned and then this thing happened and there was so much confusion about what it was i think that they oh. had tabled it for next next year or something like that they still have it and it's produced and it's ready to go but they're not going to play it this year well i missed all of that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah rebecca tashman coming back to uh to do that so that's exciting uh next up after time in the conways we have bruce springsteen on broadway which possibly could be a hotter <laughs> ticket than hamilton <laughs> yeah and uh for that matter i'm going to be very interested to see if they invite us to go see it yeah. i won't mm. be the least bit surprised if they don't i don't think and so. um yeah. Yeah, I don't either. And it doesn't matter to me whatsoever. Um, again, if I don't like reviews, I mean, what's this, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. um, so, so it's perfectly fine with me. Um, I guess I just gave away my tickets if anybody's listening. You know, those are, well, don't invite Felicia. You know, he doesn't care. You know, why should we can make, uh, you know, $1,600, whatever they're charging um, for, uh, for, the, for the pair we'd give him. So, uh, so yeah. And, you know, um, um, after making um, a big scene at uh, Barry Manilow, show that even made the New York Post um, because the people in front of me just wouldn't sit down and I was yelling and screaming at them. Uh, I imagine that's going to happen here too. I don't think that many people are going to be sitting down. I think they're going to be standing up during the whole show and uh, clapping their hands in unison and all that goes with that. So um, that's not my idea of a good time. Well, on on that specific note, Peter, I I think your fears are unfounded because they have recently actually released some information on what the show is going to amount to. And it sounds like it's going to be very intimate. Uh, just him, uh, no band. I guess him and his guitar uh, singing and and apparently talking stories, a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I don't. So I think that might work against the kind of hysteria that you're uh, that you're describing, which I certainly know what you mean, and I hate it as much as you do. <laughs> maybe uh, this. Maybe we need seatbelts in the theater. That might be a good idea. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> just a suggestion. All right. Uh, Then we have uh, that uh, Springsteen on Broadway is uh, October 12th. It's opening up at the Walter Kerr. And then uh, on October 26th over at the Court Theater, we have M. Butterfly. So um, the Henry David Wang um, adaptation uh, of this well-told story is uh, <laughs> is coming back. I, I, I'm dancing around it because we've been, been specifically asked by press reps. Have you guys heard oh, this thing? No, I go no, on. No, I don't think so. What? Um, I got, keep, we got keep, a pre- keep the secret. Yeah, keep the secret. The press reps, and I'm like, really keep the secret. It, I'm people who listen to Broadway radio know the secret already. There, there's no, there's no, nobody, no, no, Mar, Margaret from Ohio that's saying, oh, I'm going to listen to Broadway radio today uh, that doesn't already know the secret, but they've asked us to keep the secret. So I guess let's keep the secret. 
So well, there's, there's no secret that Clive Owen is going to be in it. So we can yeah, talk about that. That's and, true. Um, and of course, he won an Oscar back in 2004 for Closer, which of course originally was a play, a London play first, and then a Broadway attraction later. So he has uh, a, a play to thank for his uh, for his Oscar. So uh, he is going to play. Uh, uh, Renee, uh, which is um, a significant role to say the least. Uh, we we had a wonderful time uh, seeing this back in the eighties because there were so many different interesting people that showed up that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in uh, a play of this scope. I'm specifically thinking of when Tony Randall took over. Uh, it was it was quite surprising that um, Tony Randall, who didn't do much on stage in his later years, mm-hmm. and there he was. He wanted to do this, and I, I think. That was really um, quite good. David Dukes was wonderful in the part. I was so glad to see him do it as well. So, um, but uh, John Rubenstein um, was was extraordinary too. I think I saw them all, and um, each one brought a different thing. But of course, the person who started it all, who really deserves a lot of credit, because it's not an easy role, is John Lithgow, and um, he was wonderful too. So we we can only hope that Clive Owen will um, rise to the occasion and be as good as those guys were. Well, I just want to say the rest of the cast uh, was announced this week, including uh, Jin Ha in the other major role in the show, Song Li Ling. And and uh, the way things are today, just a little bit of Googling would uh, <laughs> reveal any secret that one might think might exist in mm. that regard. Mm. So yes. I'm not sure. I, I guess you can't really expunge, you know, expunge things from the internet, uh, although some people might try. Uh, um, so that, uh, that was just something that, that I observed when I got the press release. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, after M butterfly, we have, uh, junk coming up at the Vivian Beaumont. Uh, uh, it's Are you talking about junk. Do you mean SpongeBob? Is that, no, there's a play called junk. <laughs> You know, I, I, mm. SpongeBob thing. Yeah, we're gonna get get to the SpongeBob thing. But there's a that was that was a really cheap shot, and I (laughs) apologize for it already. But anyway, go on. There's a play called Junk up at Lincoln Center Theater at the Vivian Beaumont Theater. It is written by Ayad Ayad Akhtar and original music by Mark Bennett, directed by Doug Hughes. Um, Stephen Pasquale makes his return to the Broadway stage in this. in this play, in play. Yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, and a, a large play at that. I think we have uh, fifteen, seventeen uh, cast members here in this. Um, and the title yeah. refers to Robert Merkin, the junk bond superstar. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that is Stephen's role. So that sh- this should be really very interesting uh, assignment for him. Yeah. Yes, indeed. We we think of him as the Bridges of Madison County, but we have to remember he was in Reasons to Be Pretty before that. The uh, logo for junk uh, includes it looks like a dollar bill of sorts, and uh, or I guess a junk bond more. Um, but anyway, instead of saying "In God We Trust," it says "In Debt." we trust. Now, this is the playwright who gave us Disgraced a few years ago, and I remember when I started seeing Disgraced, I said, oh, uh, this is a minor league version of God of Carnage, okay, and then it turned out to be uh, even more potent than God of Carnage, so uh, so this is a guy who we're really paying attention to, and for good reasons, so uh, I'm looking forward to this one. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that I'm I was so impressed with Disgraced. I'm really looking forward to the follow-up here. Then comes uh, on November 9th at the Barrymore, 
the Ethel Barrymore Theater. Um, the band's visit, which is uh, highly anticipated uh, and supposedly going to be a hot ticket. So, uh, the band's visit. Both, I think, both of you saw it off Broadway, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know what to expect uh, moving to a larger house. What do you think about that? Well, I, well, I wanted to say one interesting thing about this show is that it has already had two great directors because originally Hal Prince was working on it. And I, I guess did a workshop, and I think that was for The Atlantic. And then for whatever reasons, um, he departed but was replaced by David Cromer. Now, when a major, major change like that happens, sometimes it can signal – Something is troubled. But I have to say, when I saw the show as directed by David Cromer at The Atlantic, I thought it was one of the best little musicals I've seen in a while. It's, it's just got so much heart to it. The characters are incredibly relatable and wonderful. And the situations are very heartwarming, but not in a sticky way. And the score you know, by one of my absolute all-time favorites, uh, David Yazbek, is, is just great. So I can't wait for a lot more people to see and hear this show and a cast album because I'm with you. Uh, David Yazbek is extraordinary. He has a definite signature sound and, uh, and I love hearing it. So uh, Katrina Lank is going to be back and uh, we gave her a theater world award, not just for this one, but for indecent as well. Um, and so I think most of the cast is coming back. I see Tony Shalhoub is coming back and John Cariani is too. Wow. Andrew Polk. I, I think it's probably the same cast and I hope it is because they were all quite wonderful. And the thing is about this one, it really has a wonderful message. Yes, it seems that certain countries cannot get along. However, when it's one-on-one, when when one so-called enemy meets another so-called enemy, each of them tries very hard to show that each is a wonderful human being. And that's what happens here. And that's what's so extraordinary. If only we could multiply that in a certain way that each person relates to another person. Maybe we all need pen pals of of our so-called enemies. And that way we'll each see the humanity um, in each other person rather than be worried about that person. Uh, by the way, Adam Cantor is new to this production. Is he? Uh, so, uh, I, yeah, I think he's. I think he's the only one. But you know, yeah. we like we like Adam Cantor, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what Peter was saying about um, about making a one to one connection, uh, Michael Moore talks about in his show as well. You know, mm. he says you go to Europe and you say, "What do you think of America?" I hate America. And, he, and people say, well, I'm American. He's like, I love you. You're great. You know? <laughs> so uh, it, it is about that one-to-one connection. And uh, maybe the band's visit can build that bridge in, in many different ways. Um, next up, we have uh, the new Steve Martin show, Meteor Shower, which is going to be playing at the Booth Theater and opening on November 29th. Uh, and uh, this four-person show has got uh, Amy Schumer in it, uh, Keenan-Michael Key, Laura Benanti, and Alan Tudyk in it. So, um, Alan Tudyk. Tudyk, excuse me. Sure. I, I read that wrong. Um, and it's and, also got – and it's also apparently got an advance of how much? How many million? <laughs> well, at least it, over – It's yeah. over a million right now of advance. They're anticipating a $4 million advance by the time it opens. I'm not sure how they work that, that crystal ball out, but uh, oh. this is what Mr. Riedel has said. And uh, also as a sidebar, Mr. Riedel is no longer on Theater Talk, which mm, is right. interesting. Um, 
Do we know any reason why? Do they, I haven't heard a thing. No, I haven't heard anything. But um, the other scuttlebutt is that uh, Mr. Riedel's contract is up at the post. Yes. Uh, and, I had heard that as well. And uh, that he doesn't expect it to be renewed. So, wow. Uh, because wow. as someone else pointed out, you know, in a way it would be weird for a paper to continue to have a theater gossip columnist when they don't have theater reviews. Viewer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's the world we live in. Yeah. Yes, but, but Michael was unique uh, or is unique in the sense that, I mean, you can get reviews in many places. Uh, so you can't get the type of gossip that um, – or, or factual information or oh, sure, rumors sure. than, than you can from Michael anywhere else. And uh, so so uh, if that's the case, that's going to be a big hole. And, um, you know, like I remember when George Steinbrenner owned the Yankees and then suddenly he was <laughs> uh, like banned from baseball or something like that. And I remember that night in the news, one guy said, I miss – him already, you know, because the person <laughs> the person you love to hate that type of thing. Um, so, if that's true, uh, Michael will be very much missed um, because uh, certainly people dive into his material faster than they do anybody else's. So, um, well, if that is true, and it is only a, a rumor, yeah, indeed, point, indeed. But but also, uh, I, I suspect he might find a, a, a oh, a, absolutely. absolutely. I think that we, we yeah, <laughs> I, and I think that that's part of the whole whole thing is that he will reemerge into oh. either as his own entity or as a part of one of the other major uh, so if there are hard media feelings there may be hard feelings but don't forget he was with the news originally so uh so who knows you know i mean um you know and so george steinbrenner using that analogy again how many times did he fire and rehire billy martin, billy martin. as manager yeah. so so under those circumstances maybe the news will welcome him back with open arms if this <laughs> if this is true at all you know i mean who knows you know so <laughs> so back to meteor shower um yeah uh, yeah. The Steve Martin Show, uh, written by Steve Martin, directed by Jerry Zachs, uh, with the four uh, actors that I had mentioned, uh, is going into previews on November 29th, uh, and uh, we'll have to see. What do you think about uh, Steve Martin's quick return to Broadway in a very different type of show? Well, I know it's wonderful that Steve Martin wants Broadway as much as he does. I mean, certainly there are people of his um, scope and um, um, reputation that um, don't think that it's worth coming here. So uh, the fact that he wants to be a writer and has done uh, – the, the Picasso play certainly has been done a lot, um, and um, even though Bryce Starr didn't work out well. But um, – I understand that he really was uh, looking for Amy Schumer to do this part, so that's significant. What interests me is Laura Benanti because, of course, she has made it very clear that she would like to be in that My Fair Lady revival. Uh, we we did hear from Frank Dulella that, indeed, Lauren Ambrose actually has the part. Um, I think – well, frankly – I heard this secondhand that that's what Frank said. He might not have said that at all. But um, anyway, uh, but Laura Benanti, I know, wanted to play Eliza Doolittle. And, of course, she could have leave. And who knows you know, how long the play will run because um, Steve Martin's um, Bright Star didn't run, run long. And Picasso wasn't that um, big a, a show off-Broadway either. But um, this does sound like I love my wife um, because it, it seems <laughs> to um, be uh, two couples um, get together and one of them uh, really wants to have uh, sex apparently this is what i think it's about so um so we'll see how this plays out if if i'm right or wrong if if i've um uh, read through the lines of um the descriptions that have been vague but i think that's what's ha 
happens in Meteor Shower. They get together to see a Meteor Shower, which is kind of interesting since we're talking about the eclipse this week. Um, same type of thing. Uh, the people are getting together to spend an evening where they think it's going to be scientific, and it may be more biological than scientific, but who knows? You think uh, perhaps we'll see a, uh, uh, a play called Eclipsed? Yeah, I think we already have. <laughs> so, <laughs> see that? See what I did there? Okay. <laughs> so uh, Meteor Shower played out at Old Globe in San Diego uh, uh, previously and also at the Long Wharf. And, um, and, so, and it is bringing in, uh, you know, three television stars and Laura Benanti, who is certainly a Broadway star. It, it's got a lot of star power in this, in this, uh, production. So we'll have to see if they've found a formula for success there. And, uh, if it makes sense for folks to go see it. Well, uh, the other thing too, is that it's at the booth theater, which is one of Broadway's smallest. And, uh, you know, when you can't get into a show, you want to see it even more. So <laughs> with 750 seats, as opposed to you know, uh, close to a thousand that most of the playhouses have on Broadway, you know, that's 250 people a night that are not going to get in who would have gotten in if there was at the Barrymore or right, right. Uh, one of the conventional houses. So, uh, so right there, it's going to be a hotter ticket than it, it, it would have been at, uh, a, a more conventional house so but it's nice you know four character play at the booth is uh is always a, a nice solution because um so many plays with few people do get lost on the bigger broadway stages so that won't happen here so uh so yes we can look forward to uh certainly uh to use a word that says nothing at all an interesting night in the theater small theaters and uh hard to get tickets uh i'm finally going to go see book of mormon so. Ah, really? You haven't been? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, my wife wants to go oh. see Book of Mormon, and it was really, really hard to get tickets, so we have yeah. actually scheduled it for January. Wow. Because it, I, and I was like, oh, you want to see Book of Mormon? Let's, uh, let's get tickets. And I, I went on, and I tried to get tickets, and oh, no, wow. I couldn't get anything till January. So, mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um Next up, uh, as we talked about before, uh, over at the... Uh, at the Hudson Theater, the Parisian Woman is coming in with uh, first previews on November 7th and an opening date of November 30th. Uh, and uh, so we guess that 1984 will vacate by that point. But uh, Parisian Woman, uh, three-person play with Uma Thurman, Blair Brown, and Josh Lucas. Talk about another um, another powerhouse cast. Well, and a powerhouse writer in Bo Willimon. Um, uh and uh, I was lucky enough to see his early play, Farragut North, when it was just starting out. Now, what I mean by just starting out, and I mean Dayton, Ohio, just starting out, because um, I often go there in the summer to uh, be one of the five judges at a new play conference and um, a festival, I should say. And his play, Farragut North, which, of course, became an off-Broadway uh, play and then a movie retitled The Ides of March, in which he co-wrote the script with George Clooney and indeed got an Oscar nomination. So, um, but um, a very nice young man and uh, certainly somebody who has turned out to be a major talent because, of course, House of Cards, uh, he's a writer on that. And um, so I'm uh, very interested in see what Bo Willimon does here. That's, uh, yeah, sure, Uma Thurman, yeah. Blair Brown, who I adore, yes, wonderful lady. Um, Josh Lucas, fine, but Bo Willimon is the power for me here and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I really loved Farragut North, too. And so on the basis of that alone, I'm looking really looking forward to this. 
And by the way, the five judges uh, in Dayton voted that the best play of the six that uh, we saw. So uh, at least we got something apparently right uh, way back when. So. Yeah. <laughs> got to go to the heart of America to find out what Americans really want. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's uh, coming up at the Hudson Theater in uh, the end of November. Um, and so the next up, we're going to get over to Circle in the Square Theater and go underground uh, underneath the mm -hmm. Wicked stages and mm -hmm. uh, and find Once on this Island, uh, the revival of the Aarons and Flaherty show. Uh, and uh, they've announced a ton of casting in the recent weeks uh including uh some some uh broadway debuts and some broadway uh broadway um veterans, veterans like uh leah salanga uh that we're mm. really excited to see leah back on stage uh philip boykin uh, one of my favorites yeah i love quentin philip boykin. yeah mm. quentin errol darrington oh my god what, what a cast so once in this island uh do we really uh, want to see a reinvented production or would we like to see um, something a little modification of what we what we saw back when it was originally staged I was crazy for this show when I started to play Rights Horizons. Um, I, I really couldn't believe that the music that was coming out, uh, it was almost like, I, I've said this many times, maybe I've said it on this podcast, it was like you're, when you're at a meal and they give you one delicious dish after another and then you finally say, oh, no, 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 I, I can't eat anything else. I mean, it was like, I don't think I could take another glorious, wonderful melody as much as I love glorious, wonderful melodies. So, so uh, and this was early in the, in the Aaron's Flaherty career. Yeah, uh, Lucky Stiff had happened. And while well, that's a wonderful show, and it has a very funky, wonderful score. The fact is this was uh, had different uh, goals and um, aspirations. And uh, so this is one of my favorite scores of, of all time. But what I'm really interested in is the orchestrations by Michael Starobin because mm. um, um, when I saw In Trousers in 1978 at, um, at Playwrights Horizons, I spent the whole night seriously getting home, calling everybody I knew, talking about the wonderful uh, William Finn and the wonderful Michael Starobin, who, again, were unknowns. But I still say I have never heard a score orchestrated as uniquely as uh, In Trousers. Uh, it has a sound unlike any other original cast album, and I beg of you to get the cast album if you don't have it, uh, not just because the work is amazing, but um, to my mind, uh, William Finn uh, has tinkered with it. And when you see In Trousers now, it's not nearly as potent as it was in 1978. Uh, he, it's his show. He can do whatever he wants. But um, the sound is is truly, truly un, un, unparalleled. So um, the idea this is supposed to be a much more um, authentic sound rather than a, a Broadway-type sound. Uh, so I am really looking forward to this show under any circumstances, but especially under the Michael Starobin's uh, circumstances. I share Peter's adoration of this show. I have – I must – I don't know how many hundreds of cast albums I have on my iPod, and it's amazing how often that's the one I wind up playing. Mm -hmm. It's just absolutely beautiful. And the the book by, Lick Ar by Lynn Ahrens, I would say, is as excellent as the score by Ahrens and Flaherty. I agree. Uh, so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> so Ahrens and Flaherty have had a uh, – uh, what Matt and I have been calling the under-the-radar – hit and huge success in Anastasia doing in the million dollar club every week mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and uh, and hopefully um, this will create a synergy between 
the the two shows. Uh, if you liked Anastasia, come see Once on this Island. If you like Once on this Island, go see Anastasia. <laughs> these are these are writers to be to be. Oh known. yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, all right, and then we get to who lives in a pineapple under the sea. Now, I don't expect many people know that unless you have uh, children. Uh, children, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we alluded to before, SpongeBob SquarePants is coming to Broadway at the Palace Theater with an opening date of December 4th. And uh, I, Well, I, you know, the thing is that what I hear, you know, people start in Chicago, and I saw somebody on Facebook the other day saying, um, by the end I was in tears. Yes, Whoa, this is what I, mean, I was going to say is that yeah. they, they've got an incredible lineup of talent on stage and off stage that I, I trust the people. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking about Tina Landau. <laughs> sure, sure. Tom Kitt. Who, conceived, yeah, it, who yeah. conceived it, not just directed, but conceived it. So she obviously has something in mind if indeed she gets a conceived credit. So it's got to be different. I, I have no idea what this is. I've seen the, the images around uh, here and there about what SpongeBob is, but that's it. I just have a visual image of, of what it is. I know nothing more because um, my kid is long past the uh, SpongeBob. Well, I guess I, we've never talked yeah. about it, but uh, <laughs> so. But, but uh, but yeah, so so you're very familiar with this, James, huh? Well, not this show, but I'm oh, familiar course, with yeah. uh, I'm familiar with the, the SpongeBob television show, and um, um, so and what does I, he do? Does he clean up messes? What does SpongeBob do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's he he, he yeah. solves problems in half Let's hour see. in twenty two minute segments. Uh, and so I don't know what problem he's going to solve here, but he's got uh, one of my major concerns other than the the source material was that they've got, you know, 22 different uh, original um, pieces, of, maybe not original pieces of music, but they've got music written by all different uh, all different writers. And to pull that together into one thing, uh, you might get whiplash there, but people saw – the people that are involved with it, I trust immensely, and the people that saw it in in Chicago raved about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I have I'm terrified and excited all at the same time." You know? All right, so excited and scared. Okay, yeah. now um, is Sponge Pants um, Square Pants Sponge yeah. last name, or is that a different character entirely? No, that's uh, SpongeBob SquarePants. He he wears square pants. It's his name. He wears square yeah. pants. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Now well, if if you're going to bring the children to something, I, I think it would be that one rather than the following Broadway opening, which is a play called The Children by Lucy Kirkwood, <laughs> which, which apparently is a post-nuclear disaster drama. I see. I so see. I just wanted to say that if you're planning your schedule, you might want to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to that one just to see Francesca Annis, and I hope I'm at a party where Francesca Annis is, because I want to talk to her about Passion Flower Hotel, a 1965 Broadway musical with a phenomenal score by John Barry, and uh, and uh, it, it was um, a show that only lasted about 160 performances in London back then, but um, the album is one of my favorite uh, British cast albums, and she was in it. It's about... Um, it, I can understand why it failed. I mean, it's about uh, young girls, um, young teenagers who decide to um, start having sex for money. Um, that they know that 
the boys, uh, the local boys' school, they're in a girls' school, uh, really would like this to happen, and uh, that's what they do. That's uh, their Passion Flower Hotel. That's what they call it. And uh, so she was in it, and I would love to talk to her about it um, and just see what she has to say. Uh, Marianne Faithful, by the way, if you know that name, um, uh, who was a star at the time, uh, having many pop hits back in the 60s, was in it as well. So uh, so for that alone, I'm interested in uh, the children. Of course, Francesca Annis has had a very uh, active film career, um, and um, <laughs> it could be one of those things, and this has happened to me before when they say, I don't remember anything uh, about it, but um, but she certainly um, has um, been very successful in, as, a, as a film actress, so um, um, I, this must be her Broadway debut, I would think it would be, unless she was, you know, like in Gene Brody somewhere along the way, you know, um, as a replacement, but... Um, but uh, Doesn't oh, say Broadway oh, debut. No, no, there she was. I forgot that she was uh, Gertrude in that um, Hamlet um, that was done in 1995. And in fact, she was Ophelia in Hamlet uh, many years earlier. So um, so this is hardly her Broadway debut. But um, still, please, somebody invite me to a party where Francesca Annis is. That's all I ask. And finally, uh, the last show uh, uh, before the new year, um, and that's the last one we'll talk about this morning, is Farinelli and the King, which is going to be at the Blasco Theater with an opening date of uh, December 17th. Uh, with Mark Rylance coming back here. Um, uh, so, Peter, what do you think about the Farinelli and the King? Well, this is about the castrato, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, there was a movie some years ago uh, about that, and this is about uh, a, a guy who certainly has his um, regrets that this happened to him uh, when he was a young boy and, and the problems you have when you have a, a nice voice when you're a kid. Look what they do to you so that you'll continue that voice. Mark Rylance doesn't play that character, though. Um, he plays King Philip V of Spain. So that's all I know. I know that it was done at the Shakespeare Globe, uh, which is um, that outdoor theater out there and uh, that's all I know but um, any situation where Mark Rylance wants to appear on Broadway is fine with me because he's certainly given some of the most dynamic performances I've seen and especially in Jerusalem where I thought he was magnificent beyond belief yes I'm looking forward to it for that reason as well and I think isn't there at least one movie about Farinelli yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean he's, he's a source of endless fascination for obvious reasons yeah. it's just so <laughs> horrible to think that they used to do that to people. Um, mm -hmm. So, and anyway, uh, and that he is being uh, played by Sam Crane. I'm not sure. Um, I gather that there is a, uh, well, well, th there is music in the play. I'm not sure um, if he, if he actually sings it or did I read that there's someone else Someone else is singing. Yeah. Someone yeah. else is singing. Uh, yeah. I don't know if there's lip syncing involved yeah, or knows? if, well, I guess all, all that remains to be seen. Yeah. All right. So that wraps up our fall preview of uh, what's coming up and what's announced as of right now. I mean, crazy things have happened. They could announce something else, be slipped in here and uh, there. Sure. But uh, that's what we know for right now. So before we get on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com, and there's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to iTunes for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us in many ways. One of the ways is the Stitcher app, which is an application for your iPhone or your Android device. iHeartRadio plays us. Uh, Google Play plays us. TuneIn plays us. Or anywhere that you get to 
listen to finer podcasts. Broadway World Radio plays us Wednesdays at noon, Thursdays at 7 p.m., and Saturdays at 2 p.m. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found at broadwayradio.com as well in the show notes. So, Peter, what is the answer to last week's trivia? Well, I asked uh, what theater was named for uh, a, a man and uh, was raised while he was still alive. I, I actually use the pro, uh, pronoun his uh, when speaking about this. So so even though um, G.J. Milano and John Moss uh, both thought that I was referring to the Helen Hayes because the first Helen Hayes Theater on 46th Street that um, was taken down for the Marriott Marquis, yes, Helen Hayes uh, was indeed still alive when that happened. So, uh, But I did say his, you know. So, um, so the first one to get it was Pat Payne followed by Greg Christensen. But John Moss brought up an excellent point, um, and um, he, he even when he said, "You know, are, are you cheating here? You know, uh, by the by saying his, are you throwing us off? Do you really mean her?" Um, no, I wouldn't cheat like that. You know, though on the loose, I am still on the square. So um, <laughs> anyway, John Moss uh, pointed out that Oscar Hammerstein, the first one, um, died in 1919, and the Hammerstein Theater was raised in 1915. So that counts as well. So that's the answer to the trivia question. Michael, you have one, huh? You have a question, right? Yes, I do. Yes. Uh, Broadway stars achieve different levels of fame, obviously, but um, some of the more famous ones wind up actually being mentioned in other shows. So in what two musicals is the name Cheetah Rivera mentioned? Uh (laughs) This forbidden... Is forbidden Broadway count, Michael? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you have a, uh, an idea of what Michael's asking, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.